0: This week on Inside the Ropes, we preview the AIG Women's Open, otherwise known as the Women's British Open, at the brutal Carnoustie in Scotland. We talk you through Brett Druitt's emotional return to the USPGA Tour after four years, and we can't avoid the elephant in the room, Adam Scott's million-dollar miss. It's that time of the week. Let's go.
1: You're listening to Inside the Ropes, Australia's must-listen-to golf show with exclusive content from both home and abroad. Subscribe now through your favourite podcast app.
0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 220 of Inside the Ropes. I'm Martin Blake, Media Manager of Golf Australia. We've got a bumper show for you today. We'll have a regular guest in Karen Lund, CEO of the WPGA Tour of Australasia, on board to walk us through Canoosti and the AIG Women's Open this week featuring the likes of Hannah Green and Minji Lee. We'll also get to Adam Scott's heartbreaker in Greensboro, North Carolina. And to help me through it, welcome to Golf Digest reporter at large and PGA Tour of Australia correspondent, Tony Wiebeck. Welcome to Inside the Ropes.
2: Thanks, Blakey. It's a pleasure to be here. Is this your debut, by the way? On debut, yeah. I'll uh, I'll look forward to the ratings of the paper tomorrow. At least you're not
0: in quarantine like me, you're up on the sunny Gold Coast and probably out playing golf later
2: today. Oh, not today, but we might squeeze in a uh, a little cheeky nine Thursday afternoon, I think, and uh, yeah, very fortunate in this part of the world to have a few of our freedoms still intact, so it's nice. Well, it was a big week in
0: golf, wasn't it, with, uh, I mentioned Adam Scott, but also Brett Druid, who we hope to be talking to later on in the show, but uh, Adam Scott's miss at the Wyndham Championship has caused a lot of comment. I think Mike Clayton's already penned a, a bit of a column for golf.org.au today about it. Um, Scotty's putting is something that does do people's heads in at times. But it you know, against that it was great to see him playing well. Of course he got into a uh, was it a six way playoff? Um, yeah. At the Greensboro, he actually came into the week needing to play well to extend his season because he was outside the top 125 on the points list and he certainly delivered that. He played a magnificent final round. Uh, He gets to, I believe it's the second playoff hole, hits it in close, four feet, three inches and misses. So again, people are going to be talking about his putting, I guess, aren't they?
2: Yeah, it was actually, I think, the first playoff hole and um, it was an interesting, because of the six-man playoff, they hadn't it equaled the highest number of players in a playoff in PGA 2 history. And what was interesting to look on the on the coverage was the amount of guys standing behind him watching him try and putt. You know, five guys have pulled yeah. out and made their putt. It almost, you know, makes him look human again to know that, you know, when we're standing over a putt of five feet with our mates standing around us hoping we miss it that even a guy like Adam Scott can pull one into the left side of the hole and have it lip out, um, you're right. It's something that's troubled him for a lot of his career. Um, he's won 14 times over on the PGA Tour, so he's made plenty of putts as well. But Of course. Yeah, it's think-
0: not like he can't putt at all. It's uh, it's a myth to think that he, he can't putt, otherwise he wouldn't have won 14 tournaments on the US Tour and, and be the first winner of the Masters. I mean, uh, it's ridiculous. But... I guess he's, um, you know, to, if you're brutally uh, analyzing his game, you say you wouldn't, you wouldn't necessarily pick him if you if you had a, you know, a three foot putt to save your
2: life. No, probably not. And it was interesting to me to see the, I guess, the sense of inevitability that the other players and even the commentary booth they were talking. I think Jim Nance was all keyed up to deliver a big fifteenth title yes. announcement, and then all of a sudden it lips out and. Uh, The guys get to go again. And even Kevin Kisner said afterwards when he after winning that he just didn't think he Adam would miss that putt. But hey, he's human after all, and we've all missed one of those under pressure. So um yeah, hopefully he makes the next one. So I know that uh Scotty's not
0: short of a dollar, but just have a listen to this. The first prize in that event, the Wyndham, was one point one five two million US dollars. Uh, by missing that part and with Kisner birdieing the second playoff hole, as you said, his prize payout dropped back to 389000 US, which is, of course, handy. But the difference when you extrapolate it into Australian dollars is about a million dollars. So he basically missed a million-dollar part there.
2: I often wonder, I've never had the guts to ask, but I often wonder when a guy like Adam Scott wins $300,000, whether he even notices. Like, where does it go? Does he shout himself something? A glitch in um, the in the account online. <laughs> does he get a text message from ANZ saying unusual <laughs> activity in your account? Um, I've always wanted to ask one of the guys. You know, when you what's the amount of money when you win it that matters? Um, and obviously, it's different at every level. But yeah, he'll be okay. Well,
0: a couple of things to raise around that. Um, I mentioned that he was coming into the week 122nd, and uh, by, by getting into that playoff, he of course is got himself into the field for the first round of the playoffs this week, which is uh, at the Northern Trust. But would it really bother Adam Scott if he didn't make the US Tour playoffs, do you think? Or, you know, he was talking about this last week and saying that he just wanted to basically start playing well, didn't he?
2: Yeah, I don't think, I'm not sure a part of him wouldn't mind. He's now qualified for the playoffs every year that they've been going. So I think there's probably some sense of achievement in, in doing that each year. Um, he's now 82nd in the rankings, so he has to play well again this week to to get in the top 70 to advance. Um, he's won at this golf course before, so that helps. Um, yeah, there, there were some of the some of the comments he was making prior to the tournament this week was also leaned towards. I just want this season to be over, go home, spend some time with the family, and and get ready to go again next year, and hopefully in some kind of normality. But yeah, it was a different, very open Adam Scott prior to prior to the tournament.
0: Talk us through that, mate, because you wrote about this last week. He he did a press conference prior to the event where he spoke quite openly, didn't he, about uh, the difficulties of traveling with a family in a COVID period. I'm, I'm not sure whether the average person at home is that sympathetic to golfers, pro golfers earning you know, the amount of money that they earn. But uh, having said that, it, it's been difficult for him, hasn't he? He hasn't been home for
2: quite some time. He's now got three children. Um, talk us through a bit of that. Yeah, it was a very open, Adam's not particularly open normally with regards to his personal life. He's a great interview in terms of his golf, but he always keeps his personal life very personal and it was very revealing to see how much emotion was behind what he was talking about in terms of his wife and now he's three children. He's had another child late last year, which sort of slipped under the radar a bit and um, they're based in Switzerland, so when he's had to travel to the US, it's... You know, there's issues coming home. When he played the British Open, he had to go through Spain to get back to Switzerland because England was a hotspot for the Swiss. So, and he hasn't. He's had another child, as we said, and his parents haven't been able to to um, to meet that third grandchild yet. So, it was a very Adam doesn't reveal those things sort of lightly. So, it was very telling the emotional toll I think the last 18 months has taken on him. And he admitted that he didn't consider how that would affect his game. And prior to last week, he'd had one top 10 since he won last February. So it obviously affected the way he played and how he prepared. The playoffs for the FedEx Cup, as we mentioned, start this week.
0: And six Australians got in there. Jason Day is the most vulnerable of all. He's, I think, in the 110s, somewhere around that. Uh, so he's going to have to play well straight away to advance to the to the second round. But Cam Davis is there, of course, with his win earlier in the year. It's great to see him there. Mark Leishman was there. Uh, Cam Smith, of course, is there. He's the highest ranked, I think, at number 16 uh, on the list. And Matty Jones, who's had a very consistent and excellent year, is is there as well. And now Adam Scott will be there as well. We've never won the uh, the FedEx Cup in Australia, and I, won- I wonder whether it's, uh, it's doable this year. I think that... Uh, Smithy might be be the one that would would have a, you know a really
2: good chance. He's definitely our best chance at this stage. You, getting into the top thirty. So people who are unaware, top twenty, top one twenty five qualified for this week. The top seventy after this week advance to the BMW, and then we whittle it down to the top thirty for the Tour Championship. So obviously, Cam being sixteenth at the moment, he's uh he's in position to to feature very prominently and. The way the tour championships now structured is it's sort of ranked based on where you finish. So you start with a um almost like a stroke advantage the higher up you are in the rankings. So if Cam can squeeze his way into the sort of the top ten or so, I think Eastlake's probably a course that could suit him as well. And he's playing so well. So I think if Cam can just have a couple of good solid weeks the next two, maybe get in towards that top ten, um, yeah, he'll he'll be right in the mix, come to a good. championship. We'll get to Brett Druitt's
0: performance in a minute, but uh, just around the world. A European Tour, the Kazoo Championship in England. Bryden McPherson was the top Australian there, tied 21st. Good to see Bryden playing well. On the LPGA, it was the Scottish Open. Whitney Hillier jumped up and finished tied 15th in that event and actually got into the field for the Women's Open at Canusti this week. Robin Choi finished third on the Sumetra Tour. That was a good performance, but the big one was... Uh, Actually, Brett Druitt, the man from Inverell in New South Wales, who has qualified for his PGA Tour
2: card for next season. Yeah, he started started the final event of the regular season on the Corn Ferry Tour, 22nd on the money list, and the top 25 received PGA Tour cards for the following year. And basically by making, making the cut, he guaranteed um, that he would achieve that. It was a bit of a nervous wait over the weekend as... The leaderboards and the the points rankings got adjusted because he was 63rd, I think, in the tournament, so he was down the bottom of the leaderboard. So, um, but he did just enough to uh, to nab 24th spot, and he gets to go back to uh, the PGA Tour for the first time since 2017.
0: It's a great story, and you love that last day of the Corn Ferry, don't you?
2: It, it's it's quite exciting. So much emotion to it, you know. There are guys running fifth, tenth, twentieth. And they're talking about putts on the 15th hole, moving them inside the 25 or outside the 25. And one of the guys, I think it was Austin Smotherman, um, who finished 25th, I'm pretty sure, in the rankings in the end, he walked off the 18th green. I think he'd made bogey on the last and talking to his girlfriend saying, is it enough? Is it enough? And his friends came over to him, poured water or beer or whatever it was all over him, and and they looked at him like, yeah, it's enough, it's enough. And they just burst into tears. Even seeing Brett Druid in the ceremony, they announced him to come and receive his PGA Tour card. You can see the emotion. This is its such a big jump from Corn Ferry Tour to PGA Tour in terms of prize money and opportunity. And these guys bust Brett played 42 out of 43 events. You know, this is a season that started in January of last year. And you can imagine that, you know, hes he's been at 42 golf tournaments in that time and, just to get that chance to finish 24th. And, yeah, I think it's one of the greatest days in golf, to be honest. It's, we don't have the PGA Tour qualifying schools anymore, which used to throw up so many great stories. But, yeah, this is the next best thing now.
0: I'll tell you what we might do about that, Tony. We might just talk to Brett Druitt. Uh, we're going to come back after a break and we'll talk to the man himself.
1: With Australian Golf Media, you're back inside
2: the ropes.
0: Welcome back to Inside the Ropes. Well, as we mentioned before, probably Brett Druitt is the story of the week in Australian golf because, you know, just an amazing story, Tony, of playing so many tournaments in, in one year and then getting getting his card back uh, four years after the last time he played on the on the main tour. So all the way from Boise in Idaho, it's a great pleasure to welcome Brett Druitt to Inside the Ropes. How are you going?
3: I'm doing well. Thanks um, for having us. I really appreciate it.
0: What's the feeling today? It's probably uh, 24 hours or so after the moment. You you only finished, I think, 63rd in that tournament last weekend on the Corn Ferry Tour, but I think you probably had a pretty good idea because of the rankings. You needed to get into the top 25 on the, I suppose it's the money list or the points list on the Wander, Corn Ferry Tour. Points. T- points list, Yeah. yeah. Um. So once you made the cut, my understanding is you felt like you were pretty safe, but you just slipped in in number twenty-four position. So it got a little bit uh, dicey there at one point.
3: Yeah, it was. Yeah, I was probably ninety-five percent locked up going into into the final event, um, just because I had such a big lead over the the twenty-sixth place guy, um, and it really had to be a perfect storm for me to get knocked out even if I made the cut. Um but I still obviously wanted to make the cut. I had goals that I, I actually I didn't meet. I didn't I didn't play my best golf last week. Um but yeah you know, I'm just I'm glad at the end of the at the end of the week I um I have that tour card to hold up and uh yeah it's a, it's a great
0: feeling. Did you have a drink at all? Just to have a little celebration?
3: Uh just like every other Aussie does, yeah. <laughs> of course. I had a little bit of a headache Monday morning, put it that way.
2: Tell me, Brett, watching the ceremony and guys getting presented with their PGA Tour cards, you've done that before, but you could see the emotion on your face walking across that green to accept it. Can you talk us through, you played 42 events in what must have felt like a never-ending season that started last January. What emotion goes through you when you're taking that walk to accept that card, and, and what are you thinking about to get to that point?
3: Um, well, to go back to the start of that question, I actually didn't get to do a ceremony when I got my card back in 2016 because we actually got um our last event got canceled due to the hurricane and so I didn't get to to do the ceremony after that one. Uh so this was my first one and it was just I don't know, it, it's it's been a lot of hard work. It's been a long season, obviously stretched over yeah you know, 44 events or something I think we had and I yeah I have had a lot of ups and downs. It hasn't been the um you know the the consistency that I would have liked to have. Um I I certainly found something towards the end of the season there um, around Wichita where I you know, I just went on a run. I I made six of the last seven cuts, I think it was, and I had three top 10s and two top 25s. And it was just playing like yeah, you know, some really consistent golf. Really felt like I was in a good position. I'd done some work on my golf swing leading up to that, and after taking a week off in Raleigh, and it just all started to click really. And um, I just yeah, you know, and I had to. It's funny that I had to play that well to to hold onto my spot just in the twenty five. You know, some some people would think that if you have three top tens, you. Oh, you probably locked it in, but everyone else was playing so good, and you just had to keep the hammer down. And yeah, I'm just glad the results went my way. And um, but definitely, like a, it was, it was more walking to get the card was more like, you know, the hard work over the last four or five months has finally paid off. Um, you know, just the grueling missed cuts by one, not feeling like you're playing that bad, but you're not making the cuts, and then. And you know I, it was it was tough there for a little while, um, but it was like even last year before I won, I, I won my 13th event in a row, and I'd only made like four cuts leading up to that win, I think it was a five. And it was just a, it was just a grind, and I you know, I, would, I just happened to I was ready to take it when I had the opportunity. And I feel like that's what the whole season has been. When I had the opportunity to to get a good finish and I was up the top, I kinda of, I held on to it and I and you know I finished off pretty strong.
2: Most people would have been tempted to have a week off after securing a PGA tour card. Tell us the benefits for those who maybe don't understand of continuing to play the finals and what can you gain in the next three weeks that'll help you for next year?
3: Yeah, so you know, these three finals events, I just need to try and rack up as many points as I can to jump up that inside the the 25 guys that already have their card. And, um, yeah, and and also there is the opportunity to finish number one on these finals points lists. Uh, if I, if I go out and, and and play really well, I can, um, I can't, I can actually get number one on this points list and also, and that will get me into the players and some of the invitational events, I believe out on the tour. Which would you know, just make my schedule a little easier. And obviously, I'd love to play the players. I live there at Sawgrass now. Uh, I practice and play there. I call it home, and and that's that's really one of the tournaments I want to I want to work hard to to try and get in uh, next year. And so that that's what I got to play for. Is I just want to try and get up as high as I can on that priority list. Um, yeah, you know, being 24, I'm down the bottom of the pack, but I can work my way up. Which yeah, you know, that'll that be that'll be huge and definitely hopefully try and get number one.
0: Brett, I know you've, you'll be focusing on what you've got to do this week, but just further down the track, when the the main tour starts again, uh, how do you reflect on what happened to you in twenty seventeen when you were out on the tour? You you had seven top ten, so you you know you you did okay. Um, do you believe that you can compete at that level? And uh, the second part of that question was, what was it like out on on the big tour? Like, what are the courtesy cars like and uh, hotels and the, i've heard stories about the, the gifts that get left in your locker and stuff like that it must have been pretty cool so you'd be pretty excited to be going back down that track
3: yeah i'm you know i'm excited courtesy cars obviously is going to be really good you don't have to worry about you know booking a rental car and, and that kind of stuff um, you know it's not so much about the money but it's it's more the um the convenience really um then but when I first got out there, I think I, 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 for some reason mentally, I thought I had to to change things to get better to perform and and contend on the PGA Tour. When I really just had to keep doing what I was doing and um, and, and get better gradually as I go, rather than trying to like speed up the process uh, and. And I think um, this this season, I feel like I'm, I'm I'm a lot more prepared. I have a coach who is out there. He's um, going to be out there most of the weeks um, that I can I can see. Uh, he can also, you know, I can go out and just play practice rounds with some of his guys, like Kevin Nahr, Jason Kokrak, Cheston Hadley. I can and I can pick their brains about you know, their successes and, you know, how they, how they get ready for tournaments, what they do here, what they do there. And, and I feel like that's going to benefit me a lot more than I didn't get back in 2017. Um, I played, I played a lot of practice rounds with just buddies of mine. Um, There was only a couple of times where, you know, I got out at Farmers and played with Leishman, uh, which was, you know, a great opportunity. But then at the same time, I wasn't in some of the tournaments that they were in, like the tournaments I were in, they were taking off. So I think I'm definitely feeling more experienced. I feel like my game is in a much better position mentally. I feel better. Um, and I think I'm I'm more ready to go now than I was back in 2016,
2: 17. And you're only a fairly young dad as well. How's it been the past 12 or 18 months juggling fatherhood with this road schedule you've been on?
3: I have a good wife. Um, <laughs> it's, yeah, COVID kind of hit at a good time, really. Um, I I got to see my son take his first steps um, in that little three month break that we had during COVID, which you know, which was really, which was awesome. It, it's something I think every every dad would love to be there for. Um, they've also you know, and then it was a hard stretch there. That thirteen in a row leading up to my win. Afterwards, they didn't come out on the road. Uh, they stayed home. I didn't get to see them. And that was a hard, it was a hard thing to do. Um, be away from them and be away from, you know, the little fella. Just it, it that, that, that was probably the hardest part. But now that we're, we're through this time and they're, they're traveling a lot more now, they're on the road with me. They were there last week. They're here this week. Um, and they're going to come out on tour with me as well. Um, so it's, it's good to have them around for sure. I can, I can go out and practice and, and come home and I've got my little boy to hang out with and he, he's just as good a golfer as me right now. So I, I'll i just let him hit balls around and play with him. It's kind of cool.
2: Now, we spoke a couple of years ago when you made qualified for the US Open. You have grew up in Inverell. You played cricket against Josh Hazelwood as a young fella. Yeah. But what I wanted to ask, which I found only recently in your Twitter feed, which I think is from a couple of years ago, but Payne Stewart, how does the Payne Stewart influence come into Brett Stewart's life and and how does he kind of inspire you? And um what what are the qualities of Payne Stewart that you've you latched on to?
3: I think just the way he played the game, you know. I uh, I just I loved it. I, I I just I loved the way he uh you know, he was very passionate about his game. Um and that's what I try to do. And he also, you know. He wasn't he wasn't scared to, to wear the clothes he was wearing and you know just I and I always go back to when he won that US Open and he beat Phil Mickelson and you know he he put his hands on Phil's face and he said you're gonna be a dad you know just the way that you know like he just won the US Open and he's going over to Phil Mickelson and saying like like you're gonna win one of these but right now you're gonna be a dad um, I think that really um was that was just cool to me that he could be so humbled to then like yeah you know, yes i won the us open but also um and say that to phil and i i played a practice round with phil mickelson in um at the us open i played nine holes with him and john rahm and uh, i got to talk to phil which was really cool uh he i um i then i sent him a message because it was father's day obviously on sunday the us open and i just wished him happy father's day and and that kind of stuff he got to meet my little fellow and he, he it was five ten minutes later i get a message back from phil mickelson i wasn't sure if he was going to remember me um and you know he said enjoy your first father's day it's going to be cherish it and and just he he really thinks about the others as uh, the other people as well as himself and um i think he got that from Payne Stewart as well and that that's really where i I get from Payne Stewart. I I just really like the way he handled himself, and um, and yeah, I don't know.
2: That's <laughs> you know. Now I've got to ask, like when you play nine holes with Phil, do you say, "Can I get your number?" Like how does that work? Like we, do you just ask him for his number
3: at the end. At the end of the nine holes, I you know I just said, you know, do you mind if I get your number? And if I'm playing in a tournament down the road, and and you 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 have some time to play or, or something like that and, and you're interested in, in you know playing with me again i, I he was like yeah no worries Liz, I'll, I'll give you my number here it is and um and that's that's just how it happened it was did
0: you take any just, money off like,
3: him we didn't play for money so i don't know i was i was more nervous on that first tee than i was the next day um teeing off in the first round so <laughs> i you know i was standing on the first tip pebble with like 15 20 rows deep and when i teed off and the next afternoon, I think I only had like, yeah, maybe 50 people standing around the tee.
0: <laughs> and I'm interested to know uh, what it's like out on the Corn Ferry, too. I know we read the scores every week. We know you've got to shoot about 61 to kind of be competitive every every other day. It's unbelievable. But just from a logistic point of view, 42 tournaments in a year um how do you get around to all those tournaments do you have you run up an enormous uh, number of miles on your vehicle I mean what, what's that like to just go that many weeks in a year
3: it's been a bit of both I would say um we've as a family we've racked up some miles on the car we had a stretch this year where we drove to a, to a few and I had the family out um but yeah, and then also, you know, racking up miles on rental cars too. Sometimes uh, it's, I don't well, We've it's it's been forty two events stretched over two years, so yeah, really, I've played twenty three, I guess. Um, but yeah. but yeah, it's I, I've I've done pretty good in the points department on the flights and hotels. We I I have friends that I stay with at some of the stops as well, so that's nice to, to be actually in a house and not a hotel. And you may... Um, you was, made.
0: The three twenty-two grand, according to the PGA Tour website or the Corn Ferry website, but three hundred twenty-two grand sounds like a lot to you know journo's like me and Tony. But um, that's going to get eaten up a lot with caddy fees and hotels and stuff, it, isn't
3: it? It goes pretty quickly, yeah. So um, yeah. yeah, that and then also bills at home and and all that kind of stuff. That it gets eaten up pretty quickly. Taxes eats it up. Um, <laughs> so you know it, it's it was like obviously it's a it's a great year um you know it looks like a lot of money, but it's you know, really it's not as much as what you think it is in the the scheme of things that we we outlay a lot of money so um but yeah you, obviously it, it's nice
0: you're saying you live near Sawgrass. do you come across Camp Smith at all because i uh, I know that he lives, uh, you know, in that area. I think he practices at Sawgrass. And uh, I, I was looking through some old stats before on the – because you played in a New South Wales team that won the, Inter- the Interstate Series in 2012. I was looking – I happened to look up the scores to see – I just wanted to see who, who played in that team, and Dimi Papadatos was in it, of course. Uh, but it also showed that you played a match against Cameron Smith and squared it. And then the following year, I think you beat Cam Smith uh, in an interstate series, but uh, just wondering whether you come across him and whether the other Aussies are supportive of you, uh, or will be supportive of you you think as you as you go out on the main tour again.
3: Yeah, so I, I live in TPC Sawgrass. We got a place inside there last year, and it's awesome. Cam lives about, I think he lives five ten minutes down the road from me, but he's on the inner coastal in a in a big house because um, he's done pretty good for himself. I know he's he loves going out fishing and. Um, and that now that's, I think that's his new hobby. Um, and yeah, I see him out at the golf course a little bit. We haven't played. Um, but I don't know. I, I'm sure we'll hang out a little more, I guess. Um, but yeah, go and again, going back to the interstate series. That's yeah. I, I just remember, I mean, I played a lot of junior golf with Cam, um, Kapira bowls, Australian AMS, or We we went on an Australian trip together over to the UK, the US. Um, and then, yeah, I I know, I obviously know I squared that match in Adelaide um, when we went on to win against Tasmania of all states um, in the final. Uh, I, I, I didn't remember the next, the one. When I think I the next him. year in Tassie,
0: like, you, you beat him pretty comfortably.
3: Yeah. Okay. All right. The, the Tasmania one for me is a little foggy for some reason, but, yeah, I guess I should remember that now. I might have to go back and look at it, and try because and <laughs> I should re- really remember the wins. But yeah. When was
0: the last time you are in Australia, mate? Because uh, Adam Scott was speaking last week about how difficult it is as a pro pro golfer to kind of get back at all, or to get you know, Mark Leishman's just flown his parents over, had to go through all sorts of uh, jump through all sorts of hoops yeah. and write letters to the government to get his parents over to visit him with with uh, to visit their grandkids and stuff like that. Has that been an issue for you?
3: I actually I haven't been able to make it back since two thousand and sixteen, the Christmas of two thousand sixteen. I um we've had some some things happen in our life with uh you know when I lost my tour card I had to go back to Q school and I just with my wife we we just didn't make it back. Um but my wife flew my mum out and surprised me in two thousand and eighteen um in the when we were at the tour championship in florida and then the next year after we had our little boy um my parents flew over and spent a couple of weeks over here but in terms of i haven't been able to get back to australia and actually um see my mom and dad over there i haven't seen my brother since 2016 i haven't seen my my friends from school and all that stuff since uh since 2016 and you know i i miss home um and and i want to get back as soon as i can but you know they, they have made it hard for us right now you know, like flights are you know ridiculous prices um right now just to get back they're also and then i think i i saw that it's, like any any australian uh living abroad if you come back you can't leave and so I don't know when I'll be able to get back right now just with all the restrictions and stuff.
2: Just one last one from me, mate. You mentioned before you feel, I guess, more ready to go back to the PGA Tour and and a different player and a more complete player. What's the one thing you'll do differently? What did you learn in 2017 that you'll, you know, a lot of guys get caught up in playing every tournament they can just to stay out there? And what, what did you learn from last time that you'll adopt in 2022?
3: Uh I'm I'm definitely gonna play practice rounds with um you know other other players um as uh, opposed to guys that I just got on tour with. So obviously like I said before, Drew Drew Stackle, my coach, has um some guys out there that yeah, I'll be able to just tag along and um and, and hang out with those guys on the course and practice rounds and, and stuff like that. Just and and pick their brains and um but whereas I, I didn't I didn't get a chance to really do that when I was out there my first year, which um you know I probably just lost a little bit in being able to gain a little bit of experience just talking to people. Um and also I, I you know, I just I just learned a lot in, in the in the fact that like be you. Do what you do on the golf course, don't try and be someone else just because it's a PGA tour. Um, you know, I I know and, and and also I know I know some of the golf courses now. Some of them I was going in blind, right? I I didn't know where anything was. I I'd never seen the golf course before. And Monday, Tuesday, I'm trying to learn it because I know I'm not in a Wednesday pro am. Um, so I think that'll be better. But also just you know knowing that my game is good enough and just sticking to my process of getting better a little bit every day, doing that, believing that I I. I believing that i should be out there uh which i know i should be out there uh is is probably what i'm going to take out of it and i've got a really good mental coach right now that i talk to that um helps just clear the mind and just trust the process in a way and you know that's 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 pretty much what i'll be doing i won't be as starstruck going out there this year as what i was in in 17 um you know walking on the range and seeing guys like McElroy and, um Tiger, and you know, even just seeing Adam Scott—you know, guys that I idolized growing up. Um, yeah, you know, I obviously I'd like seeing them and stuff like that, but I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be as starstruck because I, am, I want to beat them. <laughs> That's yeah. So
0: great attitude, mate. Uh, look, it's been fantastic to talk to you. I really think it's one of the feel-good stories of the year. We need all the positive stories we can get. Right, yeah. with everyone locked down like we are here in Australia and COVID running wild there. So uh, really appreciate it. Good luck this week in uh, the Corn Ferry Finals. Hope you can get your ranking up a bit and uh, especially good luck on the PGA Tour next season. Brett Drewitt. thank you.
3: Thank you. I appreciate it, guys.
1: With Australian Golf Media, you're back Inside the
0: Ropes. Welcome back to Inside the Ropes and the final major of the 2021 year is coming up this week with the AIG Women's Open at Carnoustie in Scotland. And it's a great pleasure to have our regular guest on the show, Karen Lund, CEO of the WPGA Tour of Australasia. Karen, welcome.
1: morning, guys. Thanks for having me on. It's going to be an exciting week.
0: Lunny, I, I don't like the. Uh, what do you think about the AIG Women's Open name? Because I, I, we're talking about the Women's British Open, aren't we? But the R&A have chosen to to call it that the last couple of years. I, I, I really, I really wish they didn't do that. To be honest, I understand the need for sponsors and and the need for money to cover your costs, but um, you know, it, to me, it's the Women's Women's British Open. They're very uh, testy about it, Tony. I think I think we get chipped if we call it the uh, the original name.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that I understand them wanting to, you know, obviously there's the Open Championship and that's been the Open Championship, you know, as far as anyone can, you know, go back in, in the archives. And and I guess wanting to call it the Women's Open, I guess, you know, to, to I guess, align it with the Open, but, you know, obviously the point of difference being women. Um, you know, unfortunately in the women's game, you know, the sponsorship dollars and TV revenues that the Open Championship would attract um, isn't isn't quite the case yet with, with in women's golf. So I guess, you know, obviously the need to have a title sponsor, obviously AOG, you're a big supporter of women's board and um, yeah it is what it is you know it's the, it's the ARG Women's Open and I guess uh, you know we're fortunate enough that the, the, the girls playing this week are playing for four and a half million US dollars so uh, we shouldn't be complaining too much the event's really been elevated since the R&A took it on a few years back so uh, I think it's all good we've just got to get our heads around it.
0: I've got seven Australians in it uh, Green, Kemp, Lee, Kiriaku O, Kirk and Kirsten Rudgley who from Perth who an amateur who was runner-up in the Australian amateur this year, triple Western Australian amateur champion, she qualified this morning at Panmure. So, I think Absolutely. it's seven. Does that sound right?
1: Um, and Whitney Hillier.
0: And Whitney <coughs> Hillier, my apologies. Whitney Hillier played quite well at the Scottish Open. Yeah,
1: she got in through last, last. week. So, right, had a great finish in Scotland, um, tied for fifteenth. An amazing last round, sixty-five. And you know, under that pressure, when you know you have to have a low one to get you in next week, that's a big effort from witt So. She'll go in uh, full of confidence and four Western Australian girls in the field. That's pretty awesome.
2: We've done really well, actually, because only I was talking to Sue O only um, a week or so ago, and before Ireland, she wasn't actually in the field for the Open either. So, which is surprising given her status in in the game, I guess. But we, um, yeah, we've had a a nice little boost to get to, to eight for this week, which is great.
1: Yeah, I mean, eight's a, a really good representation and let's hope that, you know, our girls can do better than we all did back in 2011 there. I think, uh, Kari was the only one of about, I think eight of us to make the cut. So <laughs> let's hope they do better this week. But, you know, I think, I think, you know, obviously Kirsten's story is great. Um, Hannah and Minji obviously had a tough week last week, sort of come, coming off a, the Olympic hangover, I guess, um, hardly surprising. And, and I don't think that's going to really hurt them at all this week. I think they were probably pretty exhausted after, especially Minji having one in Evian and then going on to the Olympics. So um, I've got no worries about them missing the cut. I think it's probably actually going to be beneficial to them um, heading into this week.
0: How does Canusti set up uh, for women, Karen? You you played there, I think, in 2011, as I understand it, missed the cut. Sorry to mention that, but uh, yeah. you, you had a, a good second round, 71. I mean, it's famous or infamous for being a, a tough course, but... I'm not sure how it's going to set up for the women.
1: Well, it is tough and and I think it's the – I mean, I was just looking back at the scores and, and Yanni sang one with 16 under, Um, you know, back in 2011, which is unbelievable. And you look at how dominant Yanni was at that point in her career, Um, you know, it's it's almost unfeasible that they could shoot those scores. The course has been lengthened this year as well um it's past 71 um playing I think it's just over 6,600 yards so it's going to be a good test there's some tough holes and you know I struggled I, I think I had a 10 on my card in the first first round last uh in 2011 which which really put me back but um the finish there from 15 to 18 is one of the toughest finishes you'll ever see in in women's golf so um you know they're long tough holes again it all depends on the wind but I think the forecast is not too bad for this week which is quite fortunate because it's it's a very very tough golf course
0: you didn't come to grief in Barry Byrne, did you? Like, uh, you know, the no, Frenchmen. I didn't. It
1: was the, the 14th hole of par five and um, I, I was, the rough was, was brutal and I was in the rough and just convinced I could get out of this long rough and took way too many goes at it, which um, you know was one of my faults. I always thought I could do things that I probably shouldn't have done. But, um, yeah, it came back strong in the second day. But, you know, that, that's just history. But, um, you know, I think interestingly too, if I, I just looked at those results from 2011, all the players were up there were really, really good ball strikers um, really, really strong players, and I think that's probably going to be the case. I think we'll see the cream come to the top this week.
2: Talking to uh, the, the men over the years about Carnoustie, and we always hear it as fans and as watchers that, you know, it's carnasty. Kind of it's the toughest test in golf, but they actually really revel in it. It's one of their favourite open venues because of how tough it is. In the moment, can you enjoy the challenges presenting and just the know the knowledge that the grind is going to what going to get you through that, that absolutely
1: idea. yeah i mean i i loved every minute of playing um links golf in in the women's open championship it was without a doubt the highlight and every minute you step onto those courses it's just um it's a it's a bit like it's a bit like a fairy tale to be honest with you it Canoosti is such a great course every hole is so different um there are not two holes that look the same or play the same um it's not uh, like some of the other Lynx courses where you go out one way and back one way you get crosswinds from every direction um, it's just a, a superb golf course and yeah I mean I, I loved every minute of it you know unfortunately my short game was never good enough to to, to get me in contention in an open championship on a Lynx course because you know you you're going to miss greens and you're going to miss fairways that's the nature of Lynx golf and you have to have a good short game which unfortunately I never my short game was never my strength so but Um, Yeah, it's it's you you have to enjoy it playing on those golf courses. You know, people pay thousands of dollars to get to play on them and you get to play six seven rounds in a week so it it is tough and as you said it's, it's just nicknamed nickname, Carnasty, and that's for, for not for any good reason we all saw what uh, John Velde did on the 18th hole back in whatever whatever year that was in but um, as I said the finish that, that the last four holes are so tough um, I don't know how many shots you need up your sleeve um, you know heading into those last four holes it's really really tough
0: Karen, I'm going to say the greatest day of your golfing career was in a Women's British Open because in 1993 you won it and I texted you about this yesterday and you said, I'm not sure I can I can remember back that far, but I'm I'm, I'm absolutely sure you could. That was the biggest win of your career, wasn't it, at Woburn? And, and you're not only content to win it, you won it by eight.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was definitely the biggest win of my career and it, it was a time in my life when I was playing really good golf. I was injury-free and... Um, yeah, I mean, I started off the final round with a five shot lead and played one of the best rounds of golf under pressure I've, I've ever played in my life and, um, didn't really give anyone else a look in, um, you know, obviously eight shots sounds a lot. And, um, you know, coming into that back nine, it was a completely different golf course, Woburn, than the Dukes course, which is a really, really tough course. Um, yeah, I, I I do, I do remember, I remember how I felt. Standing on that ADT and knowing that I could have, I think, I don't know how many, I could have 12 or something and still win. So I was pretty confident I could get over the line then.
2: It's 20 years, Karen, this year since the Women's Open became a major. Have you, are you aware that, has there been discussion about retroactively awarding that major championship status to yourself and, and Karim, Karin Dibner and I know Kari won a couple prior to 2001? Mm -hmm. Has that ever been brought up?
1: I think there has been some discussion about it, but, you know, ultimately it wasn't a major championship then. So, um, I think there's a lot of talk to try and get Laura Davies into the various Hall of Fames because Laura won it before it was a major as well. So, um, you know, if it happens, it happens. You know, I, I certainly don't think it should be. It wasn't a major championship. And when I won it, and, and as you said, when dibs and then, and then a couple of times Curry won it. But, um, you know, if it happens, it happens. You know, it wasn't a major when I won it. It felt like it. Um, you know, all the best players in the world were playing, um, that week. So, you know, I, I know what a good performance it was, but it wasn't a major. And I, I certainly, you know, don't think it should be either.
0: Karen, uh, Kirsten Rudgley's position in the field must please you. I know she's still an amateur, but I'm sure she's probably not too far away from turning pro. And I think Steph Kiriaku doing so well in Europe as well. Still, I think 19 years of age. I mean, we've we've got some some real talent coming through, haven't we, on the women's side?
1: Oh, absolutely. And Kirsten's um, she's a great player, and she's she's super talented. and She's a great kid. She's she's almost a breath of fresh air. She's really her own person, and um. She's very funny, Um, you know, her mum travels with her. They've taken a big step going over and playing in the the UK summer of golf and You know, winning the uh, the Helen Holmes Trophy and the English Amateur, and and now getting into the British, it's just a you know fair play to them. It's been a tough gig being away from their family in Perth and and taking it on. But um, yeah, no, she I think Kirsten's the real deal. I really do. Um, I I don't know when she's going to turn pro. Obviously, it's it's tough times at the moment. Um, coming and going from Australia, and I think she's very fortunate. She's got a family there over in in the UK. Um, she was born in in the UK and and came to Perth when she was I think four years old. So. Um, yeah, she's she's a star of the future, there's no doubt. And as you said, Steph has played awesome. I know she had a disappointing finish last week, but she'll bounce back from that. Um, she's learning all the time, playing, you know, in these really, really big events against the best players in the world. So, yeah, the future's bright. Um, you know, we've got some great kids. Grace Kim um, will probably turn pro soon. Um, Robin Joy's starting to find some form on the Symmetric Tour again, um, as is Julian Sue and, and um, Jenny Lee. So, you know, we've got some good young talent. So, We just got to keep encouraging them. It's tough times at the moment for them, as I said, you know, wanting to come and go from Australia. And a few of them haven't been home for a couple of years now. So, uh, but yeah, no, there's there's some good young players out there, that's for sure.
2: I think it's worth highlighting for people who maybe aren't aware of what Kirsten's achieved the past 12 months. Like, it's, I was just looking through her uh, world amateur golf ranking. It's, It's since the 2020 WA amateur, she's had five wins, two runner up finishes. As you mentioned, Karen, the Scottish Women's Open and then the English Amateur. If an if a if an Aussie Guy did that, we'd be we'd be doing backflips. Um, she finished sixteenth at the WA Open, like and and the player series. I got to talk to her at the yep. player series at the start of the year when she bobbed up on the leaderboard on day one or two and, and she finished strongly there, I think fourteenth. Um, yep. in amongst some amazing companies. So yeah, don't fall asleep on Kirsten Rudgley. She's she's gonna make a Make a lot of noise very soon, I think.
1: Yeah, I mean, she's made tremendous progress on it. She played in in a couple of our um, New South Wales events a couple of years back and um, really was just sort of finding a feat in that top echelon of amateur golf. Um, but as you said the last 12 months she's really kicked on and yeah, I agree with you I, I think we really need to watch this face. and uh, this week's going to be a great learning curve for her uh, um, you know playing in a major championship with, with very little experience of playing it at the very top level but um, you know as I said she'll take it in a stride um, she'll do it with a smile on her face and and like I said you know hopefully she can just acquit herself well and if she could make it to the weekend it'd be a huge result.
0: Who do you fancy in this uh, Karen I uh, I have a feeling that Nellie Corder will be pretty hard to beat. She always is. Well,
1: it's hard to go against her, isn't it? Obviously, you know, her form in the last few months has just been unbelievable. I mean, you know, winning her you know, her first title, then KPMG, and then an the Olympic gold medal. And, I mean, you know, she is the real deal. And and the, the way she drives the golf ball, as far as she hits it and as straight as she hits it, she's going to contend, every, you know, on any golf course. But, you know, the, the difference this week is we are playing Lynx Golf um, and it is very different to playing your traditional American courses. So, I mean, who knows? I mean, I, I think that probably, um, you know, Minji and Hannah, I'd like to think that they could both bounce back. Um, I think that there's um, – Lydia Ko to me is one that's just absolutely stands out. I mean, Lydia's got all the shots. Um, she's played Lynx golf a lot of her life. She grew up in New Zealand where it's, you know, obviously very windy. Um, Lydia would be my pick this week, but I do think Nellie's going to be hard to beat. Um, a couple of other smokies, I think. I think Leona Maguire, I think she'll play well this week. She's got a lot of experience on Lynx courses. And Allie Ewing, one of the American girls, that she's her name's up there on the leaderboard. Um, sort of week in, week out. But, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go for Lydia this week. I think that she's going to be hard to beat, but obviously cheering um, cheering for Hannah and Minji and the other girls as well.
2: The Lydia story would be quite incredible, really, given where how she started her career and then, I guess, the the waywardness of it for a little period there where she was struggling with some things, I think, off the course, which translated to on the course. So that would be quite the – and you're right, I mean, she was bronze medalist in Tokyo and runner-up this last week at the Scottish Women's Open. So, yeah, a Lydia Wynn would be yeah, quite something.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, she really has come back from the wilderness and and you know, you look at the the precocious talent she was. Um, you was she number one in the world at 18. I actually played with her when she won her first tournament at the New South Wales Open at um Oatland's Golf Club. I think it was two thousand and twelve, something like that, maybe two thousand and twelve when she was fourteen. And you knew then how good she was going to be. But you know, you get the distractions, you know, she's obviously got a family with her all the time and they have a big say in in what goes on in her life. She's had a lot of different caddies and coaches. And, and I think that, that now, um, you know, now that she's settled on a coach, um, she's really worked hard this, this past off season and, and the benefits are there. I mean, you know, watching that last round of the Olympics, um, Lydia was keeping up with Nelly off the tee, which I was really surprised about on a few holes. So she's gained a lot of length and, um, yeah, I, th- I think that she her golf swing looks as good as it ever has done, I think, and, and she's start, really starting to look like the confident Lydia Coe like, you know, she was five years ago.
0: Well, eight Australians teeing it up this week at Karanusti, as they say in that part of Scotland is a pretty forgettable town from my only visit there, but the course itself is very famous and, and absolutely tremendous to see the women out there. Karen Lund, thanks for joining us today on Inside the Ropes.
1: My pleasure, guys. Um, yeah, hopefully we'll be cheering one of, one of our girls home next Monday morning.
0: Well, it's going to be a great week in City, and let's hope we can find another major champion this week and always good to have Karen on the show 28 years after she won the Women's British Open. Now, Tony, do your kids play any
2: golf at this point? We're confined to sort of hits at the park at the moment, which has been fun the last couple of weeks. They've bashed the ball into the ether and we go and find them. So that's been our little golf experience for the kids lately, which has been great.
0: Well, the reason I mention that, Tony, is because my golf is Australia's national junior program to get kids into golf. It's the perfect beginner's pathway uh, to the basics in fun and a safe environment. Term 3 programs are now running. Uh, all you need to do is go to golf.org.au backslash my golf to find a program near you. Now, Tony, uh, we're just about running out of time, but uh, Jared Lyle would have turned 40 this week, and I believe the PGA in particular are doing some special stuff around
2: that, the late Jared yeah. Lyle. Yeah, the PGA website this week is uh, a wash in yellow. Obviously, Jared had a great association with the Challenge Foundation. It's supportive, not only himself and his battle, but those other kids with cancer who we we always like to help. And um, yeah, some wonderful pieces this week from a range of friends and family sharing their thoughts and memories on Jared ahead of his 40th birthday. And many club golfers might actually be playing um, in the Do It For Jared Day this Saturday. Um, they can be hosted at any time, but there are I know a lot of clubs are doing it this week, and we'll have a lot of club golfers out there wearing yellow and donating to a. To a wonderful cause, but I know it's a. I know you and Jared worked together on that on the book, and it must have been a very interesting time and, and a tough time to sort of I guess see him go through that at the end towards the end. There,
0: yeah. Look, it's a it's a real tragedy, and uh, the piece that I I wrote pga.org.au, By the way, if anyone's interested in any of these stories, they're basically from people who were close to Jared or around Jared um, during his time as a pro golfer, and then. Beyond that, uh, Mark Hayes and I wrote the book with Jared, which uh, went over a course of a few years. Um, When we started doing it, he was in reasonably good health and looked like he was going to make a recovery. Uh, He'd had his second bout of leukemia, and he'd sort of got through that. And he and Bryony, his wife, wanted to record something and have something for a legacy. And uh, look, by by the end of it, uh, a few years later, um, he was he was in a world of trouble. And uh, I remember Hazy going to see him. In the last week that he was on the planet, and uh, you know, just talking to him, then of course he always had a few jokes. So uh, Jared's unbelievable sense of humour, and um, you know, we we all we all miss him. So Saturday would have been his 40th birthday. Unfortunately, he's he's not with us, but there's some legacy pieces there at the PGA website. I just wanted to send a shout out to the people at Sandy Creek Golf Club in the Barossa this week, who uh, I've got a GoFundMe page running because uh, the greens or I think about five greens at that golf club were poisoned by some idiot, uh, who got into the course. So they've got some issues to deal with there, but there's a GoFundMe page that you could find through Google. Anything else, Tony, we're just, uh, counting down to the finish here. How, how, uh, uh, anything else going on in the golf world? I noticed that John Rahm has come out today and said that there's no way known he had COVID-19 when he pulled out of the Olympics, um, even though the testing uh, protocols stopped him from playing, he, he said that uh, he doesn't believe that he did have it, but he, he had to stand aside. Um, you know, it's it's
2: tough, isn't it? Yeah, that's a, an interesting one when he obviously had to withdraw or he wasn't withdraw. He was withdrawn from Memorial with a six-shot lead with COVID, and then he yeah came back, won the US Open, and all of a sudden he's got COVID again, so it did seem odd. But I'll tell you one thing I always like to throw in uh, – Bit of social media action. The tailor-made guys like Rory mcelroy Dustin Johnson, Tommy Fleetwood—they've all had to go at the Happy Gilmore swing. There's a video doing the rounds. Yeah, they're they're terrible, right? Like I can't I can't believe these blokes, these best golfers on the planet, haven't tried this before. Or I'm sure we've all done it at some point where we absolutely when Happy came out and took his run up, and we have all had a crack at it. I remember doing it at university at Charles Sturt and Bathurst, and uh, we used to smash it, but yeah, go and watch how bad these good golfers are at the Happy Gilmore swing. It's pretty actually, funny. Actually, saw Tiger Woods doing it the other day. I'm d- sure it was an old,
0: obviously an old video, because Tiger wouldn't be doing any Happy Gilmores right at the moment. But I saw an
2: old, old video of Tiger Woods doing it. And he was pretty good. Yeah, Rory, Rory smashed into the track man. They had a track man measuring the ball <laughs> speed and everything, and yeah, it, it went sideways. So uh, if Rory can't master the uh, the Happy Gilmore swing, maybe it's maybe it's too hard.
0: Well, that's it for this week on Inside the Road. Tony, thanks for being with us on the program. Thank you. Nice debut. And uh, make sure you subscribe to us through the usual channels and we'll be back with more next week.